go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Let go with ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo: los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja, y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Hi everyone, I'm Joanna. And I'm Jenny. And this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. Of course, the moment you start recording, my dog is taking a shit in my room. Hold on. No, your dog is taking a shit? She's literally taking, I just, she's. Oh, there's, I see it. I see the um, excrement that she left. Oh my gosh, you're going to step on it. Oh my God, hold on. No, 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 no. Okay, go, go, go solve that. Uh, hey everyone, while uh, Jenny goes and cleans her dog's excrement, <laughs> that was perfectly timed to the moment we started recording this podcast. Um, I'm so distracted. I'm going to wait for Jenny because all I can think about is the little turds that her her dog left her. Jenny, honestly, that was perfectly symbolic to what we're going to be talking about on the episode today. I mean, so the the shock and surprise of 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 unexpected bad news on your front door, uh, (laughs) um, it's metaphorical, symbolic, you know, really, yeah, quite perfect, quite perfect timing for context. My dog is super viejita. So like we have her on in diapers now and stuff like that. I had just walked her and she did not express interest in shitting. And she just (laughs) so now that she's, you know, viejita, she is going in the house. But we have like all these mats and again, her diapers. But prior to that, she was very much house trained. Well, you know what? This goes to show you that in life, (laughs) unexpected shit happens and you have to make the best of it. And you have to adapt to it and you have to wear diapers because shit will always hit the carpet. (laughs) And Jenny, this week, we wanted to chat a little bit about what's going on in our industry, in the entertainment industry. The past few weeks have been kind of crazy. I have a lot of friends that write on shows, that act on shows, and going into Twitter is like... (laughs) like waiting for a mind to blow like every third tweet it's a friend of mine saying well yeah i'm looking for work now because they randomly canceled my show or hey everyone uh remember that a uh, pilot i was working on didn't get picked up it's looking like the world of streaming the world of entertainment this world that seemed so rich and that content was flowing we were in like the peak of the roman empire here like i feel like now we're seeing the ultimate demise of this like perfect utopia that was created through streaming which was like you could get anything you want at any point you want and as a creator there was multiple places you could sell your show to i feel like we're coming up uh against the end of this era personally what what are we going to go back to basic cable like what? here's my theory i think 
That yes, think about it. We were on basic cable, direct TV, whatever, and then Netflix came up and said, you know what? You don't need any of that. You can just stream for $14.99 a month and you get all this stuff. You get friends, you get the office, and you get original content. Mm -hmm. But then other people started coming in and competing with Netflix, deservedly so. But then it stopped being what it was, which was, oh, I just pay for one thing and stream everything through that one thing. Now yeah. I'm paying the same amount as I was paying when I was paying for cable for, for streaming. It's almost like streaming platforms have become channels on my cable box. <laughs> like, I, I think we're go- we've gone back. We've gone back to what it was. Oh, man. First of all, I feel terrible for everyone. If it's okay for me to say, including you, <laughs> who yeah. wrote on one of these shows that was canceled and is trying to find a new home. And it's like... I know how it feels to put so much time and effort into something. And I can only imagine, especially for a lot of people who I saw on Twitter saying, this was my first time writing for TV. This is my first show. This is my Mm -hmm. first opportunity to see my writing on TV. And now they're not going to get that chance because of all the cancellations. And I know a little bit of what that's like because I've only had so far like one writer's room experience for Cartoon Network and, you know, to help develop a pilot. And my God, that was like 10 weeks. And you spend all this time with felt, you know, your fellow writers and you become a family and you you get really excited about your ideas and and these characters and the universe and the world. And then nothing happens. That is so brutal and disheartening that like, me da como, I don't know, me duele mucho por todo mundo, you know? It's devastating. Yeah. Like I'm going to put one example out there that I think is the most, you know, acute in describing how absurd and heart-wrenching this must feel as a creative. But Batgirl was a movie that was done. That was oh a God. movie that they shot over the course of, I don't know, a year and a half. It was a and long time. Imagine, imagine the hundreds of people that worked on this film. Imagine the star of this film. She was the breakout star of In the Heights. And then she was given the role of Batgirl, this iconic character. Yep. And and then it, all they have to do is release it. This isn't a, this isn't like, oh, we've, we've decided not to move forward in making the film. No, they fucking made it. They made the movie and then they were like, you know what? We're pulling, we're pulling the plug. And like, ultimately we're in a wild west, I think, in, in the entertainment space at this moment. The entertainment space has always been kind of a wild west, but I think particularly now it's a wild west, very specific pertaining to our generation. Because what happened with Girl and what happened to the show I was writing on mm-hmm. is you know, you have HBO that then it's acquired by another company. This is something that is totally, it's so funny how we as creatives were like, I'm going to write my little beautiful little stories on my laptop. But like, we're all part of like corporations that are like Mm -hmm. buying and selling each other. And we can't control that, right? We have Mm -hmm. no, it doesn't matter how beautiful your script is, is if one company like Discovery says, I'm going to go buy HBO and I'm going to completely restructure this company from head to toe. You know, your little script doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things of of this multi-billion dollar company and this multi-billion dollar merger. So I feel almost like when I go to the Air and Space Museum, I feel like, oh my God, I'm so tiny. I'm so small. I'm so insignificant. There's all these planets. There's all, all this in, you, huge no, universe. Oh yeah, of course. Of that's, course. How I f- that's how I felt in this thing. I'm like, oh my God, this, it feels like my entire world right? 
-hmm. but my entire world because when you make shows when you make art but specifically when you make shows that becomes your world that's your job that's, that's your, your livelihood that is like, your livelihood it's your identity it's everything and then it's like just kidding <laughs> bye bitch like what uh it, it's it's frustrating and humbling in a bad way not humbling like oh i'm so humbled by this beautiful praise it's like oh i'm so humbled i feel tiny <laughs> you know? yeah yeah like ultimately it's all about money and more money and did i mention money um it's again that's like all this corporate bullshit and meanwhile, we got, we're like all these artsy fartsies with our stories that we want to tell and we want to just be creative and like collaborate with other like-minded creatives. And it's just this beautiful process and it, it really makes, it does, it makes you feel small. It makes you feel a bit insignificant. And also, I mean, someone like me, right, who has yet to be staffed fully on a show or to even sell a show, I'm mortified especially mm -hmm. as a Latina, because as you know, we've talked about mm -hmm. this many times. All of my writing, all of my stories are Latino-centric stories. And mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, fuck, dude, it is difficult to even get something greenlit and then shot, but then to know now that there's a higher likelihood that it'll still get canned or it'll last a season. Y para pinga. <laughs> You know, it, it's it's complicated in, in many different ways because this ecosystem is really big. And what a lot of people don't realize is when you're writing a show, when you're making a movie, there's a lot of opinions that matter because there's a lot of money involved. So you have the studio's opinion, you have the executives of the distributing platform's opinion, you have, you know, numbers on a spreadsheet that are telling these people what they should or shouldn't do creatively. And then that is given to the writers in the writer's room and the performers and the casting. And so, you know, a lot of what we watch, we think is pure art or whatever. And it, it kind of isn't. It, it, I mean, yes, a lot of places are very pure and are purest in their approach, but most of them aren't. And, a, and that, I think, ha has been a huge barrier for a lot of Latino shows and shows that, you know, executives say, we want to showcase a minority family and character, but then they get scared about all the money. And instead of just following through with authentic voices and no, listening yeah. to that, they're afraid of that. And, and, and we've seen that time and time again. And, yeah. you know, I was, was reading an article recently about A24 and, you know, there's a lot of indie studios out there, but the only studio with real name recognition that brings people's butts into seats is A24. If you tell me, like, I don't know, literally name any other production company, I, I can't even think of one. But, like, if you tell me a production company made this movie, I'd be like, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't give me anything. That's not going to, that's not going to make me want to buy a ticket. A24, I, I, I think I've watched every single A24 movie because I know it's an A A24 film. Like, their brand is very strong. And the reason their brand is very strong is because they're very outdoor driven, meaning that this production company is a production company that believes very, very fully in the creative process and gives a lot of autonomy to the director slash writer. They work with a lot of people that are the writers and the directors. And, and, and they are the auteurs. They are the owners of this story. And they try not to get too involved in the creative. 
which ultimately I think is the reason of their success. It's so bizarre that you'd think that a company with so many different stories and, 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 you know, there's not like a blanket approach to how they pick up things. They don't just do horror or just do this or just do that. They do kind of everything, but they trust their creators and they trust their creatives and they let them run with it. And, you know, some of their movies, for example, have been Moonlight, mm-hmm. Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, The Witch, all these very different movies. But what brings them together is how they are very authentic to the the director's point of view and perspective. And there's companies that are wanting to multiply that and do that, but they don't. <laughs> they end up, don't do it. They, they don't do it. They, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, Everyone wants to be A24. A24 is like the perfect primo, the primo that is like weird and eccentric, but like it's doing super well and everyone wants to be like them. But then the moment that it is like, oh, to be like them, you have to sort of take chances and do this and the other. And then you're like, no, 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 I don't want to go to art school. I'm too scared. I think I'm going to go to business school. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Everyone knows it works. A24 makes it work. A24 makes it happen. I'm not saying it's a perfect company, but that's a company that really puts their money where their mouth is, you know? I mean, that's what I initially thought Netflix was going to be, or at least when it came out, it was all about like diverse voices. And, you know, I knew folks that worked at Netflix, which unfortunately were part of the massive layoffs, which by the way, was predominantly Latinos, POC, etc. Yeah. Because, of course... But again, when it initially started making original series and I was like, wow, they really care about diversity. I felt like I felt like it could be very much doable for for me, someone like me to sell uh, one of my shows to a place like Netflix, Um, because I did think that they were taking chances. Like, that's what I would tell people all the time. I'm like, yeah, Netflix is really taking chances on like indie creators and diverse voices and stories that have never been told before. So this is a goddamn shame across the board. And as someone who studied theater, went to film school with the pure purpose of working in television, I started making internet videos by necessity so that I create my own path to then get back onto television. And now I'm just like, should I just keep making internet content and like fuck television? Because this is the only way that I can accurately represent my people. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. What you're saying is so accurate because when we started making content, there was no middleman. Uh-huh. And that was the beauty of the internet, right? Is that all this infrastructure of people telling you no, yes, no was gone. The only person telling you no, yes, no was you and your thumb. Why the thumb? I wouldn't press a computer button with a thumb. You and your index finger. Whatever finger you use to press enter, I don't fucking know. I mean, a the pinky? thumb is used Who for the cares? space bar. So the space bar is very, is very important. Go. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. You're so supportive. 
Um, <laughs> and there was a beauty in that, right? Yeah. And that was kind of like the renaissance of, in my opinion, the independent creator. Because in the beginning of film, like in the beginning history of film, you had all of this, and I keep on saying this word, auteur-driven stories. Yes. Which is like the directors who not only wrote, they directed, they were part of the edit, you know, they were part of the whole structure. They weren't just like hired in to do something. They had a vision, they went and did it. And with the studio system, that sort of changed. And, you know, we had studios very involved in packaging movies and television and et cetera. And then the internet happened and it was almost like the auteur philosophy was back. You know, there was very little in your way to just put stuff out there and just make it like be seen and no one was going to tell you no and that's how we came up you know yeah and I, I I think we were hoping that there would be less barriers to entry and I don't think the word is barriers to entry I think it's more like that there would be less barriers for authenticity to go through yes now that it was proven that authenticity really does work on a great scale and a big and large scale I mean, yeah, the the internet, I thought it would be enough proof, right? Like someone like me can, can go to a network and show them, which I have. I've had many general meetings like some years back with various networks. And the reason why I even had those meetings is because they saw my videos online and they were like, oh, she has a unique POV that we're in, in need of. And it's the proof is in the numbers. I'm like look at these comments, you know, look at, look at how viral these videos go. Look at how many people share these videos. Look how many people show up to watch these internet creators perform live. And it's, there's so much proof there because I always tell people at networks, content creators are on the ground floor with their communities. We know the audience better than most. And it's just, it's just fucking facts. Like, I feel like I know my audience better than a goddamn, like, clueless white executive at the, at the top. Because, again, especially when it comes to Latino stories, I'm so freaking sick and tired of these clueless executives trying to, like, water down our stories. Another term would be whitewashing. I don't know how people feel about that term. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Same crap to me. Watering down. Whitewashing. Because they're so scared that they're not going to make enough money and that the show's not going to perform well if it's not general market enough. And I'm just so tired of executives being afraid of us being 100% authentic and being unapologetically Latino because I look up to black content creators and black showrunners, TV writers, because they have fought, they have fought so hard. And a lot of these shows do well because... They do it specifically for black audiences, but then everyone else enjoys them too because it's so specific and authentic and fucking real. When Latino shows go to air, you could, like, I I hate to say it, but sometimes it just feels like I'm like, someone was up there Mm -hmm. (laughs) telling, giving insanely terrible notes about maybe the language or maybe there was too much Spanish or, you know, and, and a lot of fears around... Latino characters being flawed and allowing them to just be themselves. You could tell there's someone up there. You can just tell there's someone at the top going, can we, um, can we fix this? (laughs) I don't know what they're so goddamn scared of, but it's very apparent. And again, the whole ground floor thing. I read a lot of the comments from my audience and 
which is a predominantly Latino and not just Cuban and not just from Miami. My audience expands through like Houston, Dallas, New York, Chicago, California. So Latinos from all over the U.S. And even having worked at a company like BuzzFeed with Pero, like and Me Too, where we were exposed to even more, like millions of, of Latinos. And I just feel like we're not giving them what they want. We're not giving them enough stories either. One specific conversation that I'll never forget was with the creator of Que Pasa USA. Mm -hmm. And his name is Luis Santero. And I always bring this up because a lot of people don't know this. And I didn't know this or realize it. So obviously Que Pasa USA is a very Cuban specific show that took place in Miami, was filmed in Miami. More than anything, it's a show that most Cubans know about. But I always tell people, you need to watch Que Pasa USA because it's probably one of the most authentic Latino shows you've ever seen on TV in your fucking life. And I had the the honor of talking to him over the phone about five years ago. And <laughs> what he said to me blew my mind. He said, Jenny, I really hope that your generation is the generation to change things. Because the only reason why I was allowed to create a show like Que Pasa USA and have it be as specific and authentic as possible and be evenly English and Spanish is because it was a PBS educational show for Cubans coming to Florida and assimilating. That is the whole reason why that show was even made. You would not even think it was educational because it was legitimately a hilarious fucking multicam sitcom. And he goes, after the success of Que Pasa USA, I tried to sell multiple shows via the Hollywood route that were also Latino centered, you know, stories. And he said he could not. He goes, I did not have Hollywood breathing down my neck when I made Que Pasa USA. He was able to do whatever the fuck he wanted and that is why till this day, this show came out in the 70s. Till this day, I get comments from people saying, please bring back Que Pasa USA. We haven't seen anything like it on television since. Which is like really sweet of them to tell me, but they'll even say, oh, your videos are the closest I've ever seen to Que Pasa USA. And of course, a lot of people feel that way about internet creators because just like Luis Santero with Que Pasa USA, Content creators like you, me, LeJuan James, list goes on. We don't have Hollywood breathing down our necks when it comes to our own content on our own channel. So it's so real and specific and authentic that people are like, fucking finally, I finally feel represented. Jesus Christ. You know, the irony that he was able to create that TV show in a time where there were only like three or four channels. Like, I, you know, I think we have to remember what, TV was like there were a few channels that were making content they were making some shows and they had a certain amount of slots at a time on certain days and that was what was made and one thing led to another and they had to think strategically about the Jeffersons had to come before this had become so there was, it's a very structured system and you know okay you had premium cable come later with HBO with Showtime etc but then we had like the streaming world which was oh we don't have to worry about time we don't have to worry about limitations of our schedule we can literally make as much shit as we want and and i will say for a while there i think we have i mean we've seen a lot of stuff being made that would have never been made in the past 
Mm-hmm. You've seen a lot of people taking a lot of different risks in revolutionizing what TV is, making it m- more like film, making it more a more actually it's become a very respectable form. Before it used to be like the silver screen and movie movie stars would be like I'd never go into TV. Ew, that's for the plebs. And now <laughs> television has definitely become sort of on par with, you know, the star quality yes. as film. And there's a lot of good that's come out of this. I think there's a lot of shows that probably would have never gotten picked up. But I think what's happening is we expected maybe at least a few more shows that represented us maybe get either picked up or at least given the chance to survive. And I also feel that like, you know, you have a place like Netflix and they've done a lot of a lot of their biggest, biggest shows are produced in Latin America. You have Narcos, you have, uh, um, I forgot the name of this one. Like if you look at the biggest, you know, performers of, of all time on Netflix, like a lot of them have been Latin America centric. And, you know, now Latin America is sort of like impossible to ignore in the entertainment space. In the past with studios and cable, the fact that, you know, Latin Americans wanted to watch, they couldn't watch it. They weren't here. They weren't here in the United States. So I also feel like right now we're in this weird time and I don't know what's going to happen. And and I'm scared for how many shows are actually going to get picked up. But I am a little bit hopeful. Correct me if I'm wrong or if you feel differently, but I feel like the internationalization of streaming content is going to make it easier for us to make more authentic stuff. Like, there's a bunch of articles coming out now saying like, holy shit, Latin America is a huge market and people are trying to hit that market and it, people are streaming like crazy there and 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 productions are doing super well there. It's also cheaper to produce there. And, you know, there's this outlook in the streaming world of like, all right, we got to open our eyes and we got to we got to appeal not just to general market. We got to appeal internationally. Now, where we're left out is that we're we're in America making content that we want to make here for people like us. Yes. And and there's a dissidence there. Yes. But, you know, the same time that I'm excited for the fact that Latino content is becoming a powerhouse, much like reggaeton is, it's becoming international. People from everywhere are watching it. I think it 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 puts us in America, the Latinos in America. I think it puts us in a in a different and more difficult place. And I don't mean that as like, oh my god, poor us. I mean it as like, I think, I think it's just the byproduct. They say, oh, Latino show. We can you know, look at all these Latino shows doing super well. We produce them in Latin America, and they're the top four. You know audience bringers in on our platform and then you know latinos in the states have different stories have different points of view have different ideas for what a show you know can and can't work but then there's like but would that work in latin america Mm. so i feel like the internationalization of content is making it difficult for people to make decisions oh (laughs) i'm just like i don't know i'm just honestly trying to find some kind of through line within all this chaos i feel like you know in the in the 90s it was like i don't know enron and shit like all these like fake companies that Uh. just like died i feel like we're in we're in this like world where the world of entertainment is going through their own um oh god what's that movie called about the the real estate uh big short Mm mm-hmm I feel like there's going to be a movie in like 10 years about the entertainment system now and how like 
how cutthroat it was and how executives were being like fired like crazy and acquired and all this stuff like it's going to be like the big short of the oh my god industry. that's exactly what mark blutman <laughs> he's a he's a creator showrunner who i follow and uh -huh. he's been tweeting a lot about everything that's been going on and he literally Ooh. made that exact um let me let me find it it was here he goes. This was his tweet from like six hours ago. He said, if you are having trouble understanding what's happening in our business, watch the big short. And every time they say housing market, replace it with streaming platforms. What? Are you serious? Am I a genius like him? You are. <laughs> Joanna. Joanna. I'm at his intelligence level sort of he, with this he one literally, metaphor. He created Boy Meets World. Oh my God. I agree. If you, dude, think about it so much money was put out there to make shit and look at how they're treating it they're like we made a 95 million dollar movie never mind we're not going to put it out go spread the word when you get a fresh hot mccrispy from mcdonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag don't try to wait till you get home always respect hot chicken the mccrispy only at mcdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Mm. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Es que me da una cosa. Like, I feel so bad for all the actors, every single person who worked behind the scenes. Oh, my God. And I'm certain it's edited already. Like, then the, the, po the, the post-production... I... Listen, yes, there's people out there that are probably like, who cares? They got paid. The thing is, you have to be a creative person to understand that pain. Because it, the reality is, most of us got into this not for the money, but because we fucking love this and we can't find ourselves doing anything else in this world than to be in a creative field, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of like spiritual stuff that goes into the, this is not just like a punch in card in and out. Like I've worked retail most of my twenties. I had all kinds of odd, like I know what it's like. And, and that's fine. Like you have a job that yeah, you just separate, like, it's my fucking job, and I come home, and I live my life. This is our life. Like, being creative and constantly thinking of ideas and stories to tell, and that is our life. It's beyond career. It's beyond cashing in a check. I would hate for all of my ideas and all my hard work to die and never be seen. Yeah. It's painful enough when I've shot something and then accidentally erased it, or, like, wasn't hitting record. That's already traumatic. <laughs> yeah, that's happened to me too. And I, I almost like, I have to go to like two therapies that week. I cry, I cry, I go through so much when that's happened to me. And that is such dumb shit compared to what just happened to Batgirl and what just happened to so many shows. And I think, you know, studios are no longer run by creative people. They're run by telecom companies like Comcast and AT&T 
or they're run by tech companies like Apple and Amazon Prime. Do you know what I mean? It's like now <laughs> entertainment, people were like, yo, we can make money off this shit. Yeah, which is fine. I think it's good to make money off of it. I like making yeah. money off my career. But then it's like, I think it just becomes very difficult when the people that are at the top of the totem pole making decisions, they're they're trying to make money. They're treating entertainment like they're treating software, which is... Yes. Like, it's like, oh, no, you know what? This this uh, this didn't work. This, I don't know how, what tech companies do. This self-driving vacuum didn't work. We got to make another one. And it's like, I'm sure that hurts the, pe- the people that made it a lot, but then they'll go and make something else. I, you make a movie and you say no. You, there's no coming back. You can't just be like, oh, let me rewrite this movie and remake it. It's going to be impossible for you to get funding again. Like, it's just, it's dead. It's dead in the water. You're murdering it. It's... And it's so interesting because I also feel like there's this dichotomy. You have like streamers putting like anything f- up there. There's so much shit that is so bad that I that you can tell the executives were like, oh, fuck it, whatever. It, how, did, how much did it cost? 30, 30 million? All right. Let's just finish it and put it up there. What's the worst that can happen? No one watches it. There's so much bad content out there. It almost feels like I I, I feel like I'm in a movie in the 80s where like the like with all the the people in Wall Street and all the spending and and it's like, where's all this money coming from? Or I feel like they're laundering money. I just that's how I felt for many years. It's like, is this a money laundering service? Why is there this this show has the production quality of an elementary school project and it's. (laughs) <laughs> on Netflix. How is this here? This is absolutely abysmal. That's the problem, right? Like, look, am I going to sit here and say that every Latino show that I've seen in the past 10 years has been incredible and that I relate to it? And no, right? But there has been, like you said, so many shitty, so bad. shitty white so bad. shows, okay? And so I'm like, okay. How come they get a chance? How come they don't get axed? How come it takes them three to five seasons to to eventually get canceled? Not only that, it's very understandable. A lot of shows don't find their footing in the first season. It takes mm-hmm. a while. Even fucking Family Guy, some of the voice actors aren't even the same. Mm-mm. Like The Office, you can watch a lot of the biggest shows, live action or animation, and the pilot isn't all that great or the first season isn't all that great but then the second season and the third season and the fourth dude stranger things season four is the best of all the seasons in my opinion the best of all the seasons schitt's creek is another example right i remember when i first tried to get into schitt's creek i was like this is terrible not that it was terrible i just couldn't get into it yeah i get it and thank god it lasted five seasons you know why because the arc is so incredible that till this day it's one of my favorite comfort shows i watch it over and over again time because it's so fucking good it's so well written but again the show starts with them being a very vapid like materialistic family so you're kind of like ill they're annoying like (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's the whole point you need to let your characters grow you need to let the story grow you need to let the show find its footing so even if a latino show isn't that strong in the first season who's to say it's not going to be an incredible fucking show by the third fourth season and that's what gets to me is like we do not get a standing chance but again i've known this for a while i remember being on the set of a latino show for netflix and i was talking to the wardrobe person and they started talking to me about budgets that they didn't get enough of a budget i'm like is it because it's a latino show and she said yeah so 
from the very beginning, we kind of get, not even kind of, we do get the shit end of the stick. We don't get enough money put into marketing the shows. Even with one day at a time, my audience, as you know, being predominantly Cuban, and a lot of a lot of my community, a lot of my audience has Netflix because that's all they talk about. They're like, oh my God, Netflix, Netflix. The fact that a good amount of them confessed to me that they never even knew one day at a time existed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, what? And then right now with Gordita Chronicles, I when I've been posting about it, it's wild to me that a lot of people who have written me go, I didn't even know the show existed. So, coño, you're not even giving your audience a chance to even discover it. <laughs> so it's like, yo no sé, estamos, estamos mal. Right, which is, which is, you know, what is, what is difficult about the streaming world? Because in the past, you turn on the TV, and at 7 o'clock p.m. on that channel, you had three options, so you'd probably watch one of the three or four. So people were exposed to the Jeffersons and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and they mm-hmm. were, you know... Now there's the problem of, you know, there's choice fatigue and there's too much content out there. So in a world where we thought that more opportunity was going to give us more chance, I think it's shown us that that's not enough. There's other barriers we have to overcome and letting us make something is not necessarily enough. No. There's a lot more at play. Yeah. The, the, the fact that we have to talk about algorithms when making art Oh, is so annoying. Oh my God. I know it's just the beast that we're in now and that's the reality. What we thought as content creators on YouTube, what we were, we, we thought we were escaping by working in television. The monster's back. This is our fucking Vecna. This bitch doesn't <laughs> die. It's just like, we think, we think that like the algorithm, this abstract concept of the algorithm, which for people that have never, you know, made a YouTube video, the algorithm is is this word for how YouTube or Instagram or TikTok works to get to like force videos onto their audience and where your video goes and if your video gets views and how to title your videos so you get the views. We have the exact same issue now with television. The algorithm is like the fucking God dictating what is working and what isn't. And, and like, a lot of it doesn't have to do with the show. It just has to do with the algorithm or how it's put into the system or what time it's put into the system. It's like I these know, abstract and tangible things that I'm like, God fucking damn it. Just let me write a good script and be on my way. Good Seriously, stuff. that's, that's, oh God, man. Yeah. I mean, that's why a part of me is like, I'm going to keep making internet videos until I'm really given the full chance. It's something I don't want to let go of. And it's not because, truly, there's there's a, a lot of reasons why I wouldn't want to let go of it. But the biggest reason is because I don't want to leave my audience behind. They desperately need this content. Like, they're not really getting enough of it or at all on TV. And all of the really heartfelt messages and comments that me and Kevin receive on a daily basis you're just like, oh, damn, like we're making a massive difference here in people's lives. This isn't just about making people laugh. If the whole reason why I got into entertainment was to have that kind of impact on people, and if the only way I'm going to make that impact is on the internet, then I'm going to keep doing it on the internet until, you know, hopefully something happens. I'm not going to give up. No, you can't. Even like right now, like me and Kevin are trying to develop an animated series, and I want there to be a lot of Spanish in it. And I'm a little scared, you know? I'm like, mm-hmm. are they going to be okay with the fact that one character is going to speak mostly Spanish in an animated show for the American market? And 
<laughs> well, you can't, you can't, you can't uh, undo uh, like what you think is authentic to yeah, fit. And yeah. we've seen how that, I know, like, destroys content. We've seen it. I've seen it in my own content and I'd seen it in other people's. Yeah. You know, I've been working on a show for almost two years. Mm -hmm. The show that you're on as the abuela. Mm -hmm. And I'm terrified because I've been working on this thing for two years, Monday through Friday, sometimes weekends, every day of my life, except for the 10 weeks I worked in the HBO show that then got canned. And I have a fear because there's so many things that are outside of my control that I just, it's out of my hands. And having this sense of lack of control at this point of the creative process is really nerve-wracking. Mm -hmm. I've made this thing. I think it's good. But even if we put it out there, there's just so many things and elements that are outside of our control that can destroy it or make it successful. I don't know. All, I, all we can do is make good work and be proud of it. And, and that's it. And then that's it. Like, ¿qué coño más vamos a hacer? I'm not, I'm not going to like go and be a little ninja and go into where they keep all the wires for the algorithm and like put the, put, go and like clackety clack on a laptop and put a bunch of zeros and ones so that it shows up on everyone's Disney Plus. Yeah. You know, I can't do that. I'd love to. But um, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know how they're going to position it on the platform. I don't know. A lot of people have left cable. I don't know how many people are going to watch it on Disney Channel. Like, it's scary how many times, you know, I feel like I'm in a video game. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm in Mario trying to get to the end. And then you think you, you got to the end and then there's a Bowser. And it's like, I thought this was the end. What the fuck is this Bowser doing here? And then, you know, when you think Bowser's going to die, the motherfucker comes back up from the lava. And you're like, what? <laughs> I feel like that's literally making TV or film or whatever. It is. I feel it's like a boss that it, battle. It really is. It's like, I'm still... I already like there's been so many successes we're making the show we made the show we're writing the show the show's gonna come out there's a chance for it to fail there's always a chance for it to fail and that's what's so devastating about this industry it's like I've never related more to that song that went viral thanks to Stranger Things season four running up that hill by Kate Bush mm -hmm. uh because I <laughs> bringing back the whole Vecna thing it really feel in entertainment it feels like you're running up this hill that you keep getting hit with things yeah the first one is like even getting a meeting okay you, you got the meeting okay they want to have a second meeting okay great now the second meeting okay then you pitch all right now they now they bought it okay now are they gonna still greet because they can still change their minds even if they bought it okay now <laughs> and it's like so many steps to find and then you shoot the thing okay it's shot like you're like you're saying it's like that it's like feels like being kidnapped honestly <laughs> i feel like we all have stockholm syndrome we're all like I mean, please don't kill me yet. <laughs> like, like, I'm worthy. <laughs> don't kill me yet. The ransom will be worth it. Don't worry your pretty little head. Don't like, worry yet. <laughs> but, you know, we're out here. Hey, guys. Uh-huh. Hey, guys. So I, I just got word that um, Discovery, Warner Brothers bought Pitaya. Okay. And they've, uh, they've canceled this episode right. of Hyphenated, so it's, we're not even going to release it. Sorry. You hear that, okay. folks? Okay guess we're not releasing this episode or i guess we're canceled we got canceled guys yep, i guess so. uh just kidding that is our joke for the day that actually for a brief moment i thought was real because i'm insane and i had a tiny little panic attack i threw up a little bit in my mouth not gonna oh, lie no no we're not canceled we're still we're gonna be here bickering and talking and you know i think having this podcast is 
is for me, it is like therapy. We're talking about stuff like this, but it also like brings us closer to the people we want to make stuff for. So thank you. Thank you all for listening and for believing in us. And if you got to this point in this episode, like, yo, if you see me on the street, say the words banana bread and I'll know you got to this point and you heard me and Jenny like almost cry talking about our work <laughs> and I'll be like, yo, and we can talk and hang out and oh, be my friend. My I'm going to regret God. this. Not because people are going to come up and say banana bread because no one's going to come up to me and say banana bread and it's going to break <laughs> my heart. But seriously, say banana bread to me and then and then I'll know. I'll know you know. I'll know you know. Wow. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego.